Welcome to Redemption Church. You're listening to our weekly podcast. Thanks for tuning in. So what are your plans after church? Like, what are you going to do after this? Where are you going? Where are you heading to after church is over? Because today is Sunday, if you didn't notice, and you are at church, okay? So thank you so much for for coming. And I know that for many of you, coming to church, it, it could be a big ordeal. Some of you, it's like, nope, it's Sunday. That's exactly what we do. We go to church. Others of you, you know, this is probably like your only day off this week, and you're like, man, well, do I go to church, or do I sleep in, do I stay in? And you decided that you're going to get up, you're going to pound some coffee, wipe the crust out of your eyes, put some pants on, thank you for that, by the way, that you're going to put some pants on, wrestle with the kids, and you're going to drag them to church, and you would get one hour of peace before all chaos ensues. Okay, that's your Sunday, you are at church, but what are you going to do after church? How many of you, you're going out to eat? You're like, I already know, I'm going to get lunch. Byron, wrap this up because I'm hungry and so I need to go get lunch. Do you know where you're going to go eat lunch at? Okay, I bet I can guess. Okay, you can go to 17 different restaurants, but it's going to be Tex-Mex. I mean, that's, that's it. I mean, it's Southeast Texas. Um, you're going to get Tex-Mex. I mean, it, it, any restaurant, it's going to be burritos, fajitas, enchiladas, tacos. But I prophesy a tortilla in your future because that's, that's just what we do. We get up, we go to church, and then we go out to lunch. But what do we do after that? Well, if everything goes according to plan, the goal is to do nothing. Amen? That's the goal, right? That you you get up, you go to church, and if everything goes according to plan, you do absolutely nothing. That's exactly what I want to do. When I go home from here, I'm going to do nothing, and it is going to be amazing. And so you, you get up, you go to church, you get lunch, and then all of a sudden, you're done. That's the goal. Now, what are you doing after church? Okay, you got about it, you think about it, okay? Don't think too hard because we got like another hour left in this sermon. But what do you do after church? Today we're going to see what Jesus does when he leaves church. So if you got your Bibles, turn through to Mark chapter 1, verse 29, and we're going to look at what Jesus does when he leaves church. And if you're new here, um, you'll, you'll know one of the favorite ways that we like to study the Bible is by walking verse by verse, line by line through entire books of the Bible. And that's exactly where we find ourselves at today as we're continuing our study through the book of Mark. We're calling it the simple gospel where we're taking the better part of two years and we are just studying, seeing what God's word says about the life of Jesus. We're looking to see who Jesus is and what it means for us to follow him. And the sermon title for today is called Jesus Heals the Many. Just gives you a clue as to what Jesus does when church is over. Jesus heals the many. And the big idea of this section of scripture is we're going to take a look at what life with Jesus looks like. And this is very important because this is a big problem that I see in the American church. That many of us, we get up, we go to church and we think, okay, I did my part that I gave God his one hour on Sunday, that I did my religious duties, I fulfilled my obligations, that I went to church, I got a good word, I got some goosebumps, right? Check the kids in, they didn't die. It was a good day. And so I gave God his one hour on Sunday. The rest of the week, the rest of the day, well, that's my day and I'm done. What you're going to notice is life with Jesus, you're never done. Okay, sorry, hate to break it to you, but if you're going to live your life for Jesus, you are never done. It's not just, that's because the Christian life is an integrated life, okay? That it's not just church on Sunday and then everything else. Okay, that's not the way this works. That's not what it means to follow Jesus, that it's an integrated life. It's not a separated or segregated or compartmentalized life. 
It's not church on Sunday, work on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, college classes, Friday night with the boys. That's not how the Christian life is. That it's not Jesus and all of these other things. Relationships and hobbies and interests. It's not Jesus and work and marriage and family. No, it's Jesus in everything. Because the Christian life is an integrated life and you are never done. That it's constant, continual, ongoing, ever-growing, daily experiencing and practicing the presence of Jesus in your life. Not just on Sundays, but every day, every minute of every moment. And what you'll notice is that much of ministry doesn't actually take place in the church. It actually takes place in the home. That much of ministry and following Jesus doesn't happen here in the church, but it actually happens in the home. It happens in your life. It happens where you're at because that's what it means to follow Jesus. And so if you got your Bibles, we're in Mark chapter 1, and Mark's going to show us what it looks like to follow Jesus. And he's going to tell us it's a couple of things. That it is personal. Life with Jesus is personal. That life with Jesus is powerful. And that life with Jesus is public, okay? I've been listening to a lot of Southern Baptist preachers, you can tell, because it's personal, powerful, and it is public. So if you've got your Bibles, we're in Mark 1, we're going to read through it, and we're going to see what life with Jesus looks like. Here's what he says, starting in verse 29, and immediately, okay, let's pause there. That is Mark's favorite word. Mark says this word more than anything else in the entire scriptures. He uses it 42 times because Mark, he's in a hurry. Mark wants you to know. Mark's going to tell you exactly what it means to follow Jesus, and he holds nothing back. Mark says immediately, he being Jesus, left the synagogue. Okay, so we talked about this a little bit last week, that the synagogue is the old covenant equivalent of church, and that you know, they would get together on the Sabbath, which was the Lord's day, it's a holy day, and it was set apart, totally devoted for their worship. So they would gather together in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and they would worship, and they would study God's word, and they would spend time with God's people, and it was just their equivalent of church. And then Jesus comes along, and Jesus is a teacher, and they invite Jesus to come in and teach, and Jesus totally amazes everyone. When Jesus comes in, he preaches, people are like, who is this guy? Because Jesus, he teaches with passion. He teaches with purpose. He teaches as one who has authority. And as Jesus comes in and teaches, the scribes and the religious leaders and the whole crowd, they're like, who is this man? Who is this guy? And then to top it all off, Jesus, he casts out a demon. They're like, that is a very busy Sunday at church. Jesus comes, preaches, the day is over, church is done. And everybody's kind of wondering, well, what comes next? Well, where do you want to go? What do you want to do? So what is Jesus going to do after church? Because he leaves the synagogue. Well, here's what it says. And he, being Jesus, entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. So Jesus goes to lunch with Simon. Jesus goes over to Simon's house so they can go and have lunch together. Now, these are his disciples. These are his first followers. That Jesus calls them, he says, follow me. And they leave their nets, they leave everything behind, and they go and they follow Jesus. And Jesus takes him to church, and then afterwards he's like, I'm going to your house, we're going to go hang out, we're going to go eat lunch, because they're doing life together. And so the big idea is, Jesus was in a community group. Okay, That's exactly what this is. He was in a community group, so you need to be in a community group because you're not better than Jesus. So get into a community group, because much of life with Jesus means living in community with God's people. So Jesus leaves church, he goes to hang out with Simon and the rest of his community group, and then here's what happens in verse 30. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, 
And immediately they told him about her, and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Interesting fact. Okay, there's only a handful of stories that are actually mentioned in all three of the Synoptic Gospels. Okay, synoptic meaning Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John, he does his own thing. But there's only, three, there's only a handful of stories mentioned in all three of the Gospels. Okay, and this is one of them. And anytime you're reading your Bible and something's mentioned three times, okay, God's trying to tell you something. That He really wants to get your attention. He knew you wouldn't hear Him the first time, so He put it in there three times because, well, let's just be honest, we're a little dense. So, so God tells us three times this story about Peter's mother-in-law. Okay, now why would this be one of those stories to catch so much attention? Okay, well, one, we see that Jesus loves mother-in-laws, and so guys, okay, you need to love your mother-in-law, okay, amen? Um, Jesus loves mother-in-laws, and so you need to also love your mother-in-law. Uh, but it also shows us, on another hand, it shows us the value that the Lord Jesus puts on women. See, in that day, this would be unheard of for a rabbi to, to be able to lift up a woman, to speak to a woman, to heal a woman, that would have been totally unheard of. And so it just goes to show that Jesus loves and cares and puts value and honor in the lives of women. But I think more importantly than this is it's Jesus' way of telling Peter what life looks like when you follow me. Okay, because I think that many of us, when we read the scriptures, we could come to the wrong conclusion and we could think, oh, well, the disciples, well, they didn't have anything better to do that the disciples, they were just poor, filthy fishermen. They didn't have any money. They were most likely homeless. Right? They didn't have any sort of education. And, you know, they were just trying to catch some fish because they didn't have anything to eat. And so Jesus comes along and he's like, hey, follow me. And they're like, well, what's the worst that could happen? Okay, what else could we lose? It's not like we're going anywhere with our lives. And so we're just going to go ahead and follow him because, well, there's, there's nothing really on the line. I want you to know that that's actually not true. Here we see that Peter... Right, he has a mother-in-law. Do you know where you get those? Okay, you get those from wives. Okay, and so that means he also has a wife. Like, there's no dudes who are like, I really want a mother-in-law. No, right? You get a wife, and then you get a mother-in-law. They're a package deal. So he, he has a mother-in-law, which means he also has a wife, which means he also probably has children. And, and we see that in his home, there's brothers and he has sisters. That he has a family. That means that he has people who depend on him. That means he has people who look to him, look towards him, look up to him. That he has responsibilities, he has obligations, he has things that he has to take care of. I mean, he has a house, and so he has to be able to pay for that house. And he's probably a little anxious when he decides to follow Jesus. I mean, just think about it. He's like, I'm leaving behind a comfortable life, the life that I know, the life that I've you know, wanted for my children, raised up for my family, the life that I have worked very hard to be able to get to up until this point, he leaves it all behind. Do you think he was probably a little anxious about following Jesus, a little bit nervous about following Jesus? Okay, well, I, I'm going to follow you, but, but what am I going to do about my finances? What am I going to do about my family? Who's going to take care of my kids? Who's going to take care of my wife? Who's going to take care of my mother-in-law and my health? And so Peter was probably feeling a little bit nervous and anxious at this point. And Jesus, he performs this miracle, I believe, saying that, Peter, if you follow me, I'll take care of the details. That if you follow me, I'll handle the rest. Like, your job is just to follow me, and I'll come to your house, and I'll take care of your family. I'll come to your house, and I'll take care of your health. I'll come to your house, and I'll take care of the details. I think this is a wonderful truth that many of us 
that we need to understand. Because when we come to Jesus, oftentimes we want to know everything in full detail. Jesus doesn't give us it like that. He just says, follow me, I'll take care of the details. I'll handle the rest. Our job is to trust in Jesus. His job is to provide for us. And that's exactly what I believe that Peter learns through this story and why, why it's contained in all three Gospels because this is the cost and this is the result of what life looks like when you live with Jesus. And so Jesus leaves church, goes to Peter's house, heals his mother-in-law. She gets up. She starts to serve him. This is an amazing day, right? But the day is not done. Here's, here's how it continues. That evening at sundown, okay? So it's dark. Okay, the Sabbath is over. Church is over. Everything's done. It's sundown. It's, it, it, the end of the day for Jesus would be here, right? He probably just wants to sit on the couch, watch Netflix, just call it a day, getting ready for the big day tomorrow, laying out his clothes. That's probably what you and I would be doing, right? That's not Jesus' life. It says, at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick. Really? And oppressed by demons. Wow. Okay, long day, right? Oh, healed a person, cast out a demon. All of a sudden, look at all these people. Right? Where do they keep coming from? The whole city coming, all the sick and all of those who are possessed by demons. Do you think Jesus is probably a little bit tired? Probably. And the whole city was gathered together at the door and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Now, before we dive into this section today, I'm going to have to do a little bit of theology. Okay, and I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, theology on a Sunday? This is my day off. I didn't plan on going to college. Uh, okay, no, this is redemption. You're smart. You're sharp. You're going to love this because I know that you love Jesus and you love theology. So we're going to do a little bit of theology and you're going to be excited about it. Amen? And so we're going to do a little bit of theology. And this is going to be really good and helpful for those of you who are reading along through the Gospel of Mark at home on your own. And it's this little curious line right here that says, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. What this is called is the messianic secret. Okay, what you'll notice as you read through Mark's gospel, he is a brilliant storyteller. He is an incredible author. He, he's genius. And the way that Mark is structured is it's almost like a mystery novel. As you read through it, you're like, nobody has any clue who Jesus is. Who is this guy? What is he doing? Nobody has any insight or clue as to who Jesus is. And so this is the, because of the messianic secret. It's, it's actually um, very unique to Mark's gospel. And we, see, we stumbled across it a couple of times. We saw it at Jesus' baptism. We saw it last week with the demon saying, you are the Holy One. You are the Son of God. Jesus says, shut up, get, get out, like we're done. And then we see it this week. And it's because, because Jesus is hiding. Jesus is pulling back. Jesus has not yet fully revealed his identity. We see it a couple of times, and we'll see it next week as Jesus performs a miracle on the leper, and he says, okay, don't go and tell anyone what I did for you. It's Jesus' way of kind of pulling back so that he can accomplish what it is that he has come to accomplish. But this really is curious. You think, if Jesus is God, which we believe that he is, then why wouldn't he just reveal himself from the very beginning? If Jesus is God, then why would he do it like this? Okay, let me ask you, if you were God, how would you reveal yourself to the world? If you were God, how would you do it? I'll tell you exactly how I'd do it. Right? I definitely wouldn't be a servant. Oh, no. Right? I would come as a king, and I wouldn't be born 
in a manger in a small, rural, dumpy, hick town out in the middle of nowhere. No, I would go to the big city, I would be the king, and I would probably just teleport down, just boom, here I am. Everybody, you've been waiting for me, right? And I would be, I would be like six foot six, I would have like six pack abs, right? I would possibly be glowing and everybody come see me, everybody come love me, everybody come look at me, everybody come see how wonderful and amazing that I am and everybody bow down before me. I am your God. Give me your publicity, give me your notoriety, give me your fame, give me your celebrity. Uh, Jesus doesn't do it like that. Okay, thank God I'm not God, amen? Jesus, he doesn't come in celebrity, okay, but rather Jesus, he comes in secrecy. The question is, why? Why would Jesus reveal himself like this? Now, there's been a lot of debate around this subject. A lot of ink has been spilled, but what I want to do is I want to just give you um, five reasons to why Jesus would hide his identity throughout his ministry. Okay, the first reason that we'll see is that Jesus was not a miracle worker. He was not just a mere miracle worker. Now, Jesus, he does miracles. Okay, we're going to see a miracle today. Jesus does miracles. He heals. He casts out demons. Jesus does some amazing things. But the primary purpose of why Jesus came was not just to be a miracle worker. Jesus wanted to avoid the reputation of being a magician or being a miracle worker or having some big spectacle or scene focused in on his signs and wonders. You'll notice that there's massive crowds that come to follow Jesus, but they want a miracle. They don't want their Messiah. That they want a sign, but they don't want their Savior. And, and Jesus understands this. And so while, yes, on one hand, he does perform miracles, he wants to keep the message focused on the mission so that people would eventually see himself as the Messiah. So one of the reasons is he didn't want to just be known as a miracle worker. Well, the second is that he chose the core over the crowd. Okay, throughout Jesus' ministry, massive crowds begin to follow him. Huge parts of the entire city, sometimes up to 5,000 um, people come out to follow Jesus and Jesus, he could, have, he could have chose the crowd, but instead Jesus focused on his core. Jesus could have worried about the 5,000, but what we see is he intentionally invested himself in the 12. That Jesus knew, I have three years with these 12 men to teach them, to train them, to raise them up, to be able to lead them, because one day I'm going to die, I'm going to hand my mission, I'm going to hand my ministry off to these 12 men, and it's going to be their job, it's going to be their responsibility to single-handedly transform and change the world. And so instead of worrying about the crowd, Jesus focused in on the core. So that way he could teach and raise and train them up. One of the interesting things is when we come across to the parables, okay, Jesus teaches the parables publicly, he gives no explanation, but when he meets privately with his disciples, he always gives an explanation. That's because Jesus, he chose the core over the crowd. Well, the third is that Jesus was a servant and he was not a celebrity. Okay, Jesus was not in the celebrity business. Jesus is God, God in the flesh, entering into this world, eternal, incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is God, but he comes not as a celebrity, but as a servant. You and I, we would want to be celebrities. We're like, hey, you, go get my slippers. I'm somebody important. That's how you and I would do this, but that's not the way that Jesus does it. 
Mark chapter 10 says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but rather to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. That all of Jesus' life was humbly, graciously pouring Himself out, meeting the needs of others so that they can come, know, love, and serve, and they could be saved by Him. Jesus, He knew that celebrity business got in the way of the servant business. Jesus was all about being a servant, not a celebrity. And in a day and age where people are obsessed and consumed with celebrity culture, I think we could use a little bit more serving. Amen? Jesus came to serve. And then number four, Jesus refused the testimony of demons. Okay, this one is a little bit interesting. As you read through Mark's gospel, like I said, nobody knows who Jesus is except for the demons. The demons are the only ones who actually know who Jesus is. Because demons have perfect theology and they're the only ones aware of Jesus' identity, but they cannot be saved nor changed. And so Jesus, he will not permit the demons to speak. And this actually does make sense because if I were to meet you and say, hey, tell me, how did you meet Jesus? And you're like, the demons told me. You're like, oh, I don't think that's how it works, bud. I'm sorry. Um, Because that could be a little confusing, right? And so Jesus, he doesn't want to confuse people by receiving the testimony of demons. So that makes sense. And then lastly, number five, Jesus avoided the religious leaders. Okay, Because Jesus is constantly in conflict with the religious leaders, the priests, the the scribes, the Sadducees, and, and the Pharisees. And these are the religious leaders of the day. And you need to know that there is a difference between religion and Jesus. Okay, big difference. Religion is all about what you can do to make God love you. Jesus is all about what He has done because He already loves you. There's a big difference between religion and Jesus. Religion would say, everybody come look at me. Everybody come see me. Come see how much more God loves me than He loves you. Jesus, on the other hand, humbly, graciously, serving, loving, caring, and meeting the needs of the people around. And so there's a big difference between religion and Jesus. And the religious leaders, they basically... They just follow Jesus around everywhere he goes with their clipboard. And they're like, okay, Jesus, we have these rules and these regulations and you have to abide by our rules. Okay, so we got this nice little you know, 10-step chart on how you can heal somebody. It's got to happen on this day and this way. It's got to follow these guidelines. Some rabbi wrote a book 300 years ago in the, back, in the appendix in the back. You have all the explanations and definitions. You know the terms, right? So Jesus, here's our clipboard. Right, you got to do things according to our way. And Jesus is like, I don't care about your clipboard. Okay, Jesus comes in, he just flips everything upside down. He's like, that's a nice little man-made box. It would be a shame if I destroyed it. That's Jesus. That Jesus comes in, flips everything upside down, and the religious leaders, they hate him. That they're opposed to him. They resist him every single step of the way. They're like, who is this? You can't do these things. And it's actually the religious leaders who ended up crucifying and killing Jesus. And what you'll notice, it's not just because of his works, but it's because of his words. That it's not just the things that he does, but it's because of the things that he says. That he claims to, be, to forgive sins. That he claims to be the Son of God. That Jesus claims to be one with God, to be equal with God. And for all of these reasons and all of these claims, the religious leaders, they opposed him and they eventually had him crucified and killed. And so from the beginning of his ministry, Jesus, he, he tried to avoid these religious leaders because he knew he had work to be done. And if Jesus would have come out just like you and me and said, Mark 1, here I am. Everybody bow before me. Right? This book would only be like one chapter long. Okay? It would be like, and Jesus showed up and they killed him the end. 
Like that would be, that would basically be the book. But Jesus knew I got work to be done. I got things that I need to accomplish. I got things that I need to do. And so Jesus, he avoided the religious leaders by hiding his identity. And so up until this point, nobody knows who Jesus is. Okay, only the demons know. Okay, the disciples, they don't know. The religious leaders, they don't know. Like the crowds, totally lost. The, the Roman government, nobody has a clue who Jesus is. Okay, they think, is he just a teacher? Is he just a rabbi? Is he just a miracle worker? Is he just a healer? Right? Is he just some guy traveling through town? Right? Is he a, um, leading a revolution? He's going to overthrow Rome. He's going to install a new spiritual um, government. Who is Jesus? Could he be something more? Up until this point, nobody knows. All they know is that one day Jesus showed up. He was walking along the Sea of Galilee. He finds four fishermen, and he says, for y'all to follow me. And they drop their nets, and they begin to follow Jesus. He takes them to church, and at church he preaches, he teaches, he casts out a demon, and then church is over, and everybody's just like, whoa, what do we do now? And Jesus is like, I'm going to your house, and we're going to have lunch. That's what Jesus does when church is over. He says, I'm going to your house. I'm going to go hang out with you. I'm going to go spend time with you. Right? What are you doing after church? Because I'm going to come and I'm going to spend time with you. The disciples, they're like, all right, I guess that sounds fine. They didn't know what to expect. They didn't know what comes next because they didn't know what life with Jesus actually looked like. So Mark's going to tell us what they learned about what life with Jesus looks like. We'll see that it's three things. It's personal, that it is powerful, but also it's public. So here's the first thing Mark tells us the disciples learned about life with Jesus is that it's personal. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered in the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately they told him about her and he came and he took her by the hand. He lifted her up and the fever left her and she began to serve them. The first thing we see about life with Jesus is that it is personal. That Jesus wants to hang out with you. Jesus wants to spend time with you. Jesus wants to get to know you because life with Jesus is personal. Now, for some of you, this comes very naturally. You're like, of course life with Jesus is personal. And of course he wants to hang out with me because I'm so awesome. And everybody wants to hang out with you. Okay, no, we don't. Okay, we don't. Hate to break it to you, but not everybody wants to hang out with you. Jesus does. Okay, but everybody else, we're like, eh, probably, probably not. But Jesus does want to hang out with you, okay, because he loves you and he probably wants to work on your pride a little bit. But Jesus, yes, Jesus does. And so some of you, this comes very naturally. Okay, others of us, okay, this is a struggle. A struggle for us to think that, that life with Jesus is personal. I'll be honest with you, this is something that I struggle with to see Jesus in a very personal way. Okay, I, I think, you know, Jesus, He loves the world. But me? Of course, Jesus, Jesus is good. Jesus is gracious. Jesus is kind. He's compassionate. Jesus is God. And I'm glad He saved me. But is He personal? Uh, something that I, I struggle with. It's, it's a struggle for me because I think that God's always busy. He's, he's probably worried about something else, someone else. I mean, sure, there's got to be some kid starving in Africa somewhere, right? I mean, he's probably worried about world hunger, AIDS. He's probably worried about racism and, and sexism and oppression. He's probably worried about human trafficking. 
He's probably more concerned about people who are suffering in their life, maybe people with cancer, chronic illness. I'm sure he's worried about those people, right? But me personally, I don't know. Like, I feel like I'm kind of on my own. I'm sure there's some big holy man somewhere that, that he's working through, but is he working through me? Is he personal in my life? I don't think so. And I really struggle to see God as personal. So yeah, sure, he loves the world, but does he actually love me, care for me, want to spend time with me, want to get to know me, want to be personal with me? Anybody else? Okay, I'm the only one, apparently. Thank you very much. But we need to see that life with Jesus is personal. Okay, because what you'll notice in this section of Scripture is that the first thing Jesus wanted to do as soon as church was over was to hang out with Peter. He couldn't wait to get back to Peter's house. And who you hang out with after church really says a lot about who you love. Right? I mean, as soon as church is over today, I'm going to run home to my wife and my little girl. First thing that I'm going to do, I'm going to run home as quick as I can, and I'm going to give him a hug, and I'm going to give him a kiss. That's what I want to do, because that's who I want to be with. Because Ashley, she's my wife, she's my best friend, I'm, da- I'm a daddy to Esther, my, my little girl, and as soon as church is over, I'm going to run home, because I want to be with them, because I'm close to them, I love them, I care for them, I am in a personal relationship with them, because they are my family. And Jesus when church is over, he wants to go hang out with Peter. And what we can kind of pull from this, if we want to just stretch the illustration out a little bit further, as soon as church is over today, Jesus wants to hang out with you. He wants to go to your house. He wants to spend time with you in your life. Because life with Jesus is personal. See, oftentimes we think, I'm going to church and I'm going to meet with Jesus. That we come to church and we, we meet with Jesus and the worship's great and you get a good word, right? And, and you have time with the Lord. You're in fellowship with God's people. You think, okay, I went to church and I, I met with Jesus. And then we pray the blessing and the benediction and then you walk out those doors. Well, then what comes next? The serve team, we, we stick around for a little bit longer and we tear all of this down, we do our grow class, everything comes down, we throw it in a trailer, and the truck pulls out of the parking lot, and then what comes next? Where do we go? What happens after that? Jesus is standing in the middle of the street, and he's wondering, where are you going? I want to come. I want to hang out with you. I want to spend time with you. There's still day left. There's still things to be done. There's still life to live. What comes next? What comes after? And Jesus is right there in the parking lot when you walk out those doors and he wants to hang out with you because life with Jesus is personal. This is something that I I do struggle with. And as your pastor, it's probably an area in my teaching and ministry that I have not done as good as a job that I could. Because I personally struggle to see life with Jesus as personal. See, when you come to redemption, every single week you get the big Jesus. Okay, I'm going to give you the big Jesus. You hear it all the time. That Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. Jesus is Christ. Jesus is your King. But He's also your friend. And that He loves you and that He cares for you and that He desires to be one with you. That yeah, He's your King. 
but he's also your friend that he wants to spend time with you. This is mind-bending if you really think about it. That our king is also our friend. And just think about that. That you are friends with the king. You know what that means? It means you have worth. That means you have rights. It means you have value. It means you have access. You have favor. I mean, you're friends with the king? Seriously? I mean, my best friend manages the Walgreens. I mean, that's like as high up as I get, like Walgreens, right? And I still have to pay full price for beef jerky. But you're friends with the king. I mean, this is just mind-bending. Think about it, right? I mean, it's easy for us to think, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is God, Jesus is Christ, Jesus is Messiah, Jesus is our king. And all those things are absolutely true. But he's also your friend. I mean, this is the same Jesus. This is Jesus. The Jesus who, who in the beginning, right, the second member of the Trinity, eternal, right, Jesus who in the beginning when everything was created, he's the one who came up with the idea for stars. This is the Jesus who, who paints galaxies with just a wisp of his hand. This is the Jesus, this is who, who holds all things together. The one who carves mountains and valleys with his hands. This is the Jesus who created the plants and the animals and trees. This is the Jesus who knitted you together in your mother's womb before you were even thought of. This is the same Jesus who entered into human history to live the life that you never could live. To die the death that you deserve because of your sin. And he was sinned. This is the Jesus who goes to the cross, who is crucified and murdered, who is buried in the grave, but death could not hold him. He overcomes the grave, conquering Satan's sin, hell, death, and the grave, resurrects to the right hand of the Father where he rules and he reigns because he is holy, he is worthy, he is all glory, he is preeminent, he is prominent. This is the same Jesus that angels bow down before him 24 hours, 7 days a week, bowing before Jesus, holy, holy, holy. This is the same Jesus who is going to return one day to judge the living and the dead and to take the saints back home with Him. This is the same Jesus who also wants to hang out with you. You think about that? That He wants to spend time with you, that He wants to know you, that He wants to care for you, that He wants to be there with you. Because Jesus is not only your king, oh, but he's also our friend. And, and what we're seeing here is how a person is able to develop a relationship with the Lord. How we're able to develop a relationship with, with Jesus. And the way that we do that is by experiencing his presence. By experiencing His presence, not just on Sunday, okay, but every day. And the way that you and I experience the presence of Jesus is we do that through prayer. Did you know that through prayer, you can be just as close to Jesus as Peter was? That He's still right there with us. He is just as ever present with us today as He was on that day with Peter. 
you know that we can have that sort of relationship still to this day? The way that we do that is, is through prayer. And prayer is a couple of things. Okay, first, prayer is communication. I mean, that's simply all it is. It's just, it's just talking to God. And that's what, that's what prayer is. That it's communicating to the Lord. Okay, here's what's happening. Here's what's going on. Here's where I'm at. Please help. Right? That's, that's prayer. Make some requests. You know, give them some praise. Tell them how much you love them. Ask questions. That's, that's what prayer is. And you can ask questions of God. Say, so well, what do you think about this? Where do you want me to do with that? Where do you want me to go? And you can ask God what He's up to. Did you know that? It's not just one way. You can say, what are you doing today? Right? Because that's what I want to do. What do you say? What are you thinking? Okay. And then you can just talk with God. People are like, I don't know how to pray. Okay, well, do you have a friend? Yes. Do you talk to them? Yes. Same thing. That's all it is. It's just simply communicating with God. It's nothing fancy. It's nothing weird. You just, just talk to the Lord. Tell Him where you're at and how you're feeling. We call that prayer. But God also speaks to us. And so we can pray by communicating. And the way in which God speaks to us is through His Word. That God has spoken to us through this book. And so we know exactly what God says. Like we don't have to guess. We don't have to speculate. We don't be like, who's God? He told you. Right? He already told us in His Word. This is the Word of God. This is what God says. This is what God thinks. This is what God desires of our life. And this is who He is and this is what He does. God has perfectly revealed Himself to us through His Word. And so if you ever need a word from God, all you need to do is read the Word of God. Because He's already told you. People are like, God's not speaking to me. I'm like, well, when was the last time you read your Bible? It's been a while. No wonder. Right? He's always talking. The problem is, is we're not always listening. And some people are like, I just want God to speak to me audibly. Okay, well then read it out loud. That's how, okay. God speaks. And He primarily speaks to us through His Word. But there are other ways in which God does speak to us. And one of the best ways that you can learn to listen to the voice of the Lord is through silence. Okay, now, this sounds totally counterintuitive. You're like, wait, God speaks through silence? Yes. And the reason He speaks through silence is because He wants you to draw near to Him. That oftentimes, we want people, we want the Lord to shout at us when really He speaks in a whisper. Because when someone whispers, you have to get close. You have to draw near. You have to be quiet first. And it's in the silence that we learn to hear the Spirit speak. This is the way that my wife works. Okay, for those of you who know my wife, you'll agree. For those of you who don't know my wife, she's an introvert. She's, she's, she's shy. Um, she's very quiet, soft-spoken, and um, her love language is quality time. Whenever I first got married, this drove me crazy, okay? Because I'm the opposite, right? right? I'm just talking, 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 loud, 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 all the time, all the time. Like, that's, that's me, um, and, and so we would get together, we'd go for long car rides, or we would um, sit on the porch, or we would kind of just sit on the couch, and we would have, you know, time together, and I'm just talking, just, here's all the things that I've done today, and here's all the things that I thought today, and here's all the things that I want to do tomorrow, like, why don't you tell me something? Why aren't you talking to me? Why aren't you, why don't you tell me a story? Why don't you tell me a joke? Why don't you make me laugh? Why don't you tell me about your long-lost cousin, twice removed, that we never met before? Why don't you talk to me? Why don't you love me? Why don't you care for me? Why aren't you saying anything? You don't love me. And then Ashley's like, Byron, shut up. Put your phone down. Turn it all off. And just be with me. And it was through the silence that I learned how to enjoy her presence. That's the same way that the Holy Spirit works. 
that you can encounter His presence on a daily basis. And we do it through prayer. We do it through, which is just communicating. We do it through reading of the Scriptures. That's God's Word to us. But we also do it through silence and solitude and just shutting everything off, turning everything off, and then just getting along with Him. And He's just as present with you today as He was with Peter on that day. Because life with Jesus, it is personal. That He's not just your King, but He's also your friend. Because life with Jesus is personal. Well, Mark tells us it's something else. He also says it's powerful. Okay, here's what he says next. That evening at sundown, they brought to Him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door, and He healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and He would not permit the demons to speak because they knew Him. When you follow Jesus, when you live life with Jesus, things happen. Because it's impossible for you to meet Jesus and stay the same. When you follow Jesus, things begin to happen. Here, Jesus, He goes to Peter's house, and His mother-in-law is sick. Jesus just picks her up, lifts her up, She's healed. She begins to serve. She goes, makes them a taco. It's a great day. So Jesus heals the mother-in-law. They get something to eat. They hang out. It's pretty good. Because when Jesus shows up, things change. And the whole crowd begins to hear about what Jesus is doing. They're like, what? Okay, first he preached a sermon, and he like actually didn't have any notes. That's amazing. And then, he, oh, he casts out a, a demon? That's awesome. He healed Peter's mother-in-law? Seriously? Look, i got all these sick people over here. I need something to do with them. And so they just start picking people up and bringing them to Jesus. And there's the sick people who are coming. He healed them. And there's the demon person. And he's like, he cast out that devil. This is amazing. Woohoo! Yay, Jesus! Because when Jesus shows up, things, things change. That's because life with Jesus is powerful. Because when Jesus shows up, things change. And there's a couple of things that we see about Jesus' power here. Okay, let me give you three aspects to the power of Jesus. Uh, I'm going to show these. I don't have time to address each of these today in great lengthy detail, um, but his healings, his miracles, and his deliverance, it happens repeatedly throughout Mark's gospel. And so if I don't answer your question today, we'll still be studying this book in like year 2020. So I'm sure by the time we get that done, I'll answer your question. But for today, let me just go ahead and give an overview introduction for the, for the power of Jesus. It's for your life. It's not just in this book. It's, it's, it's for your life, because even his power is still personal. So there's a couple aspects of his power that we'll look at. The first is healings. Okay, now, I don't know what your background is, what your beliefs are. I don't know what you've been taught or what you've been told, but the simple truth of the matter is we serve a God who still heals. Okay, we totally believe that here at Redemption, that, that Jesus still heals. Okay, that it's not figurative, it's not metaphorical, it's literal, physical healing. This is when a person is sick, injured, or ill, and at the touch or the presence of Jesus, the pain or the disease, it leaves. We believe this, that Jesus does, in fact, still heal. Okay, I've seen it. In the church that I grew up in, there was a boy born without eardrums. Someone laid hands, prayed over him. He could hear. Okay, Jesus healed him. There's another woman who has a skin condition. In our church, she'd break out in hives and rashes. She had an allergy. And it happened all the time. Ever since she was a little girl, laid hands, prayed on her, it's gone. It's gone. Jesus healed her. There's another guy in our church, had a back brace on just a couple of weeks ago. He wasn't even sure whether he believed in Jesus or not. Someone from our community group went over, laid hands, prayed for him. 
totally healed. He believes in Jesus now. He loves Jesus. He serves in our church. But Jesus literally healed that person. There's another woman. Whenever we first launched our church, she came and she had cancer and she went and she took Holy Communion. And when she partook in communion, all the pain in her body, gone. She went to the doctor um, a couple of weeks later and no traces or sign of cancer anywhere in her body because Jesus healed her. Okay, we literally, we totally, we believe that Jesus still heals. Now, the question inevitably that I always get is, why doesn't Jesus heal everyone? Okay, well, how come if some people get healed and other people don't get healed, then why doesn't Jesus heal everyone? Okay, the best theological answer I can give you is this. I don't know. Okay, and you have to be okay with that. Because I, I, I simply, I don't know. I don't know why we pray for some and they get healed and why we pray for others and, and they don't get their healing. I, I, I don't know. But here's what I do know. The more people we pray for, the more people we see healed. The, the ratio percentage of people prayed for versus people not prayed for who receive healing, pray for. And an aspect of living life with Jesus is you're to pray for healing for people. Now, people you know, people you care about, people who are suffering, people who are sick. Our job is to pray for them. Now, it's Jesus' job to heal them. Okay, I don't know anyone who actually can heal anyone. Right? Nobody has that ability. Nobody has that power. Jesus has the power. And if He has the power and we're in personal relationship with Him, then we can pray to see that power at work. See, see, it's Jesus' responsibility to heal. It's simply our responsibility to pray. And when you understand it as, hey, your job is just to pray, that takes all the pressure off. Because then you're like, I don't have to heal this person. I just have to pray to Jesus for them. And so it's our responsibility to pray for people. And we're going to pray for people today. Matt, as I'm preaching, some of you, you're hurt, you're injured, you're ill, you got a sickness, you got something going on physically in your body. Okay, we're going to pray for you at the end of the sermon. That you have an opportunity. We have a prayer team in the back. Every single week, we pray over people to see if the Lord Jesus would touch them with His amazing power and they can experience His healing. We do that every single week here at Redemption. Because healing is an aspect of Jesus' power. Well, the second is what is called miracles. Okay, now there's a difference between healings and miracles. Okay, a healing is always a miracle, but a miracle is not always a healing. There's a little bit of difference. And people, they like to trivialize miracles. They're like, it was a miracle. Everything is a miracle. No, it's not. Okay, if everything's a miracle, then nothing's a miracle. Okay, that's kind of the definition of what a miracle is. We're like, it was a miracle. No, it was Tuesday. Okay, that's not, that's not how it works. Right? A miracle is when the kingdom of God bursts forth in a person's life in unexplainable and undeniable ways. That's what a miracle is. It's when God's power perfectly intersects the lives of the people of God. It's the inbreaking of the kingdom of God made visible and evident and tangible in the world around you. So when Jesus goes and heals the mother-in-law, that is a miracle. When Jesus casts out the demons, that is a miracle. The ability for Jesus to lay hands on every single person and to see them be healed, that is a miracle. When Jesus walks on water, when he feeds the 5,000, all of those things are miracles. And the good news is that Jesus still does miracles today. That the kingdom of God still wants to break forth in your life in unimaginable, unexplainable, undeniable ways because an aspect of living your life for Jesus is we are to expect, to pray, and to believe in miracles to happen in our lives. That Jesus does still do miracles. And we believe this. We pray for this. That just before the gathering today, we had our team, we laid hands on a husband and wife who are having five years of infertility. We laid hands on them and we prayed and we believed 
because we're expecting a miracle for their life. We have families who are being torn apart through divorce or through death, and we're praying, God, do a miracle in this life. Do a miracle in this family. Do total restoration. Do something that only you can do so that you get all the glory because that is a miracle. Some of you, your children are wayward and running from the Lord and wreaking havoc and devastating their lives. And barring a miracle, you need a miracle. right? The only reason that I'm here as your pastor is because of a miracle. That for 20 years... My grandparents, they got down on their hands and their knees and they begged and they prayed and they fasted and they interceded before the Lord that he would get a hold of my heart. And then one day God cashed in 20 years worth of prayers and he poured them all out and Jesus saved me. Never stop praying, especially for your children, because you don't know when all of those prayers, God's going to cash them in and you're going to get your miracle. Don't stop praying. Don't stop believing. Don't stop working towards those things because miracles still happen. The whole reason that Redemption Church is here today is because of a miracle. Pastor Donnie Flippo played for 10 years that a church would come in to downtown Beaumont to be able to reach this city. And then we served under his church. And then two people who know no one, with no money, with no building, with no budget, just eight college kids and two grandparents were able to plant a church that two years later, we're still here. People keep meeting Jesus. People keep showing up. There's more people each week. Baptized 66 people. Loving, serving, growing, going with the gospel. Redemption Church, by the grace of God, is a miracle. And we believe in miracles. No matter who you are or where you're coming from or what you have going on in your life, whether relational, emotional, physical, financial, Jesus has a miracle. And we're praying and we're believing and we are expecting miracles to happen in our lives and in our church because that's what it means to live our life for Jesus. Well, the third aspect is what's called deliverance. Okay, Now, this is something that I see severely lacking in the church. Not just our church, but the church as a whole. It's the area of deliverance. What you'll notice is Mark, he makes a distinction here. He makes a distinction between those who are sick and need to be healed and those who are oppressed by demons and they need to be delivered. He, he makes a distinction. So this goes to show that, that they're not as primitive as we thought that they were because they make a distinction between those who are sick and suffering and those who are in need of deliverance. And anytime we talk about deliverance, or Satan and demons, or spiritual warfare, right? Things get very weird, right? And, and people start kind of freaking out and they get a little nervous. And that's because we live in a day to where everything can be explained through science, through reasoning, through rationale, that there's a prescription, there's a pill, there's a diagnosis. We also need deliverance. We also need to be delivered. That, yeah, I'm not saying that medication is bad. Okay? If you take medicine, please take your medicine. But medicine's not enough. Am I saying that doctors are bad? No. Go to a doctor. Go seek a physician. But you also need the great physician. Am I saying that there aren't things like chemical imbalances and bipolar and anxiety and depression? No. Of course that stuff's very real and people do struggle with that. But there's a difference between depression and oppression. There's a difference between what some people feel as a chronic chemical imbalance and depression, and then what a lot of us feel in our lives 
to where we think we're depressed, but it's, it's actually an oppression from the evil one. And because we're so focused on treating the, 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 the mind and the body, we forget about our souls. That you can get so focused on treating your mind and your body, but who's going to take care of your soul? See, many of us, we live under constant torment and torture in our souls. That our souls are hurt, our souls are broken, our souls are fractured, and they need healing. And we live on, under torture and torment that many of you, all you feel like your entire life is you're just the worst day of your life. It's on repeat over and over and over again in your mind. That many of you, you feel like all you are is the biggest mistake that you've ever made and that's the way that people see you and that's the way that people will always know you. And so you walk around with guilt and shame and condemnation just heaped on your shoulders. Your shoulders are bent. Your head is down. You're weary. You're tired. You're defeated. And you walk around like this. And you think, this is just my life. No. You're being attacked. And because you're not aware and you don't know, you just accepted it. This is where the area of deliverance comes in. Because Jesus didn't only die to save you from your sins. It's true. He also died to set you free. He didn't only die for your redemption. That's true. He also died for your deliverance. That you are not a slave. You're not a victim. You are not held hostage. You are not held captive. You are not just a broken identity. But through the Gospel, you're healed, you're healthy, and you're whole. This is the area of deliverance. And it's something that Jesus does all throughout this Gospel. And I think it's something that we've overlooked as a church. Not just our church, but the church in whole. Because when you see each one of these aspects of the power of Jesus, from His healings, to His miracles, to His deliverance, when you see each one of these, you see what life with Jesus is supposed to look like. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. That it's the inbreaking power of the kingdom of God. His power intersecting your life. This is what our lives are to look like. This is what our world is to look like. Jesus comes and He says, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is near. It's now. This is what God desires of our life. That the kingdom would burst forth in visible, tangible ways to where people would know what life with Jesus looks like. These aren't isolated events in Jesus' life. It's not like he was just kind of walking down the road and said, oh, there's a sick person here. Oh, here's a person I have to heal over here. Oh, I need to preach a sermon over here. No, that's not the way that this works. This is not random acts of kindness on Jesus. Okay, this is Jesus living his life kingdom-focused. This is Jesus living his life intentionally, strategic, showing the world what life with him looks like. Because this is his power. That it is personal. And it's powerful, but it is something else. And this is important, so you're going to need to know this. Here's the last thing that Mark tells us. He says that life with Jesus is public. Verse 32. 
That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. When you become a Christian, you, you put your hope and your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord, and you enter into a personal relationship with Jesus. But it's not a private one. See, a lot of people think, well, I gave my life to Jesus, and then I'm just going to live the rest of my life. It's a personal relationship. It's none of your business. Right? It's not your business what I do. Only God can judge me. Right? And so I don't really actually have to do anything. I prayed the sinner's prayer, raised my hand, walked the aisle, right? baptized as a baby, took my first communion. I'm done. Right? I did my part. And so it's no one else's business. It's just between me and the Lord. I don't actually have to do anything. Right? Oh, like going to church, reading my Bible, praying, worshiping, living in fellowship with God and other people. Right? You want me to share my faith? That, oh, I can't do that. You want me to grow in my faith? Well, what does that mean? And so many people, they think, I have a personal relationship with Jesus, but really, it's a private relationship. And there's no such thing as private relationships. Okay, if I told you that me and my wife, we have a private relationship, but I don't want anybody to know about her, how do you think she's going to feel? Probably not very good about that because there's no such thing as private relationships. If you're going to live your life with Jesus, it must go public. That life with Jesus is a public life. Here Mark says they brought all. Okay, How much is all? All. It's a lot. I'm not sure if you're good at math or not, but all, that's a lot. Right? In the Greek, it means all. I mean, that's exactly what it means. They brought all. It says here in verse 33 that the whole city, the whole city just gathered outside of the doors of the house wanting to come to get to know Jesus. Can you imagine if when we walk out these doors, all 135,000 people who call by my home are standing in the parking lot? Could you just imagine that? I mean, that's the goal, right? Amen? That all 135,000 people are like, tell me about Jesus. Take me to Jesus. Show me Jesus. I want to know this Jesus. I want to see this personal Jesus. I want to know this powerful Jesus. How am I going to get to know Jesus? They can't know him if you keep him to yourself. Because life with Jesus is to be public. That we are to tell people about Him. That we are to show the world about Him. That we are to bring all to Him. That we would see the whole city gathered around Him. Because life with Jesus is public. If your faith doesn't impact the world around you, then you're not living your life for Jesus. If your life is not being lived for Jesus, then guess what? You're not living your life for Jesus. If people can't tell, if people don't know, if your life looks nothing different than it was the day before you met Jesus as it does today, then you're not living your life for Jesus because when Jesus shows up, things begin to happen, things begin to change. He changes who you are, how you live, how you act, how you think, and how you interact with the world around you. Because if you know Jesus, if you know who Jesus is, if you have met Him, if you have experienced Him, if you live your life with Him, then you want everyone to know who He is. That if He can do it for me, that if He can do it for my life, that if He can love me and serve me and care for me, if He can heal me, if He can save me, if He can do it for me and take this mess of a life, turn it around, jack it up, flip everything upside down, if He can do it for me, you're easy. Because that's what life with Jesus looks like. 
that if he can do it for me, he can do it for you. And I want him to do it for everyone because I want people to know that Jesus heals, that Jesus delivers, that Jesus saves. I want everyone, as many people as possible, to come to know Jesus. How many of you know and love someone who does not know and love Jesus? Good. All of our hands should be raised. If not, the Lord can go ahead and rapture you now. Because you're not doing anything. We all need, we all know people who know, that we know and love who do not know and love Jesus. Could be a coworker, could be somebody at college, could be a family member, husband, wife, a child. We all know someone who doesn't love Jesus. And the question is, we love them. But what do we do with them? Mark says, we bring him to Jesus. That the whole city, they brought everyone to Jesus. Because what we know is, when you bring the many to Jesus, Jesus heals the many. This is our responsibility. This is our privilege. This is our opportunity to bring people to Jesus so they can come to know Him. They see that He's personal. They can see that He's powerful. But if our faith is not public faith, they're not going to get there. I mean, this is the whole reason that Redemption Church exists. Okay, you know, we, 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 just don't, we don't do this because it's fun. I mean, it is fun. You guys are great. But it's like, it's kind of a headache throughout the week. And there's a lot of things going on, intervariables. I mean, we could all be doing something different on a Sunday morning, right? Those tacos are sounding pretty delicious right about now. We do this so that people can meet Jesus. I mean, that's, that's why we do what we do. The whole reason that Redemption Church is here today is because we want as many people to meet Jesus as possible. That this city is hurting and it needs healing. There's so much darkness and doubt and despair that people, they need to experience deliverance. That we all know people who we love who feel like they are far from God and they need to know that Jesus is closer to them than a friend. And it's our privilege and responsibility. And it's this moment, it's this opportunity for you and me to lead as many people to Jesus as possible because when we bring Him the many, Jesus heals the many. And this is what life with Jesus is supposed to look like. And so as we, as we close... There's some of you today that you need to see Jesus as personal. That you don't feel as if He's personal. You don't know that He's personal. He loves the world, but me? Yeah. And so what I want you to do is I want you to hold on to this. I want you to write it down. I want you to study it, pray over it. And I want you to know that Jesus, He wants to spend time with you. He wants to care for you. So during worship today, I want you to spend time with Him. Others of you, you need to know that Jesus is powerful. You, you need to know this. You know it in your head, but you, you haven't experienced this. And so what I want you to do, you're hurt, you're sick, you've got something happening in your life, maybe you need healing, maybe you need a miracle, maybe you need deliverance. I challenge you okay, to get up and go get prayer today. Not just to sit in your seat and expect God to do all the work. No, He's going to do the work, but you've got to get to Him. And so... Go pray with them. We have a prayer team that would love to pray with you. And then others of you, it's time for your faith to go public. That you know it. That your life hasn't really changed. It looks the same. Nobody knows. Nobody can tell. 
Well, because you haven't gone public with your faith. It's your moment. It's your chance. This is your time to begin to live your faith, to live your life with Jesus. Do not settle for half-hearted American religion, casual Christianity. Do not settle for this. To where you just show up at church on Sunday, you give God your hour, you walk out the door completely unchanged. When you walk out this door, you're not done. In fact, you're actually just getting started. That life with Jesus, it doesn't just happen in these four walls. It happens everywhere you go because it's who you are. It's a constant, continual, daily experience, encounter with the Lord. Not just on Sundays, because much of ministry doesn't happen in the church. It actually happens in your home. It happens with your family. It happens with your college friends. It happens with your classmates. It happens in the universities. It happens at the coffee shops. It happens at the restaurants. It happens when the kingdom of God is revealed around a dinner table or a tired dad getting down on his hands and knees playing with his little girl after a long day. That is where ministry happens. That is where life happens. And that is what it looks like to live your life for Jesus. It's personal, it's powerful, and it's public. And this is the life he's called you to live. Redemption Church meets every Sunday morning on Crockett Street at the gig. If you would like to know more, you can find us online at www.redemptiontx.com or join us for one of our two services at 9.30 or 11.15 a.m. Sunday mornings in downtown Beaumont. Kids are welcome too. We are Redemption and we would love to meet you.